Well, good morning, Central Church and guests. So great to see you this morning. Welcome. If you're watching us online this morning, whether that's our website or Facebook Live page, uh, God bless you. Thanks for joining us wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Those of you in the concourse, uh, thanks for bringing your family and being here and worshiping with us this morning. And all of you that are here live, welcome. So we are in a teaching series called When. That's the title. It's called When because we're studying the Psalms. And each individual Psalm answers the question, what do we do when we encounter certain situations in life. So today we're looking at Psalm 57, Psalm 57. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do this morning, if you're a regular part of Central, just get in the habit of bringing your Bible, opening it up, reading the text with us. Uh, that way you're used to finding those places in Scripture. If you need a Bible, there should be one in the seat back pocket in front of you or under the seat. Um, so please follow along with us as we read Psalm 57 here in just a minute. Let's, let's pray this morning. God, we thank you for your presence here. Holy Spirit, we know that whenever uh, we gather in the name of Jesus, that you are there to serve, to minister, to help, to encourage, to strengthen, to heal, to deliver. So Holy Spirit, do your work today in our hearts and in our lives. Whatever the need is in every individual person here, whatever that need is, God, whether it's relational or social or professional or physical, emotional, whatever that is, God, Holy Spirit, just minister to that need. We invite your presence. Thank you that you're here. Now, as we open the scriptures this morning to Psalm 57, Lord, help us to understand it and speak to us. Uh, whisper into our ears your specific guidance and instruction for each of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 57, we'll jump in there in just a second. What do you believe that God wants to do in your life that he's not yet done? What, do you, what are you believing, waiting for, hoping that God does in your life that he's not yet done? In other words, is there some unfulfilled purpose or unfulfilled promise of God in your life that you're, that you're waiting for? Maybe you're single and you're, you're waiting for that right person to come along. You're waiting for God to answer that prayer related to a lifelong partner. Um, or maybe you're married and you're, you're struggling with fertility issues. And, and hoping and, and praying that God would bless you with children. Uh, maybe in a professional sense, you're, you're waiting on God for a, a certain professional position or for a leadership opportunity. Or maybe you're feeling a call to, to some type of ministry and you're wondering, you know, when is God going to bring that about and what is that going to look like? Maybe as a parent, you're, you're, you're hoping, trusting, believing that God is going is to help your child turn the corner spiritually, get, get on track with God in some way. Or maybe there's someone in your life that, um, that, that you love dearly but, but hasn't yet surrendered their hearts to Christ. And, and you're, you're, you're hoping for that promise of God, that, that, that purpose of God for their life. Or maybe, maybe it's an, an emotional or mental depression or, or mental health issue that you're, you're believing to, to come through or for someone else to come through. I don't know what you're waiting for today, but, but what do we do when it seems like the purpose of God is taking forever? Because none of us, <clears throat> we don't like to wait. We don't like to wait for anything. We don't like to wait in lines. We don't like to wait in traffic. We don't like to wait for test results. When we're interviewing, we don't like to wait for the job offer. When we're at the airport, we're, we don't like to wait for flights. We want, we want everything to be now and everything to be on time according to our schedule. But the reality is that it's, it's in the waiting period that God prepares us for the purpose. See, there are lessons to be learned in the waiting so that when, we're, when we finally get to the point where God fulfills 
his purpose or his promise, we are prepared. And only God knows when that is. I've shared with you, related to the Psalms, that there's a a subtitle in the Psalms, or, or it's called a superscription. Some Psalms don't have them. Some Psalms, the superscription is as simple as the author's name, a Psalm of David. Uh, a psalm of the sons of Korah, or something like uh, a psalm for the choir director, or, or something simple like that. But a few of the psalms give us the context in which the psalm was written. And that's what we have in, in Psalm 57. Uh, the context of this psalm is David waiting for God to fulfill his purpose for his life. Um, the psalm says this, the superscription is, a psalm of David when he fled from Saul and hid in the cave. Okay, well that helps us a lot, right? Well, (laughs) who is Saul and when did David flee from Saul and what's this about a cave? How how does that help us understand the context of the Psalm? Let me give you a quick timeline of David's life and it'll set Psalm 57 in its context. So if we went back to to 1 Samuel chapter 16, the prophet Samuel anoints David to be the next king of Israel. Uh, Saul had dis- King Saul had disobeyed God, and so God told Samuel, go and anoint David to be the next king, which he does. David's about 15 years old when Samuel anoints him to be the next king. Well, <clears throat> right after that, David gets invited or recruited to King Saul's palace to play the harp for King Saul whenever he would slip into a depressive mood. And so, so David gets invited to the palace and he, he plays the harp regularly for King Saul. Well, right after that is the event that most of you know about with David. He kills Goliath, he kills the giant. Because he, he has that military victory, King Saul invites David <clears throat> to be the captain over all of his army. So David is not only the harpist that plays for Saul, now he's the captain over all of Saul's army and David's good at what he does. And David quickly becomes incredibly popular in the eyes of the people and very successful to the point where, excuse me. King Saul had a a natural tendency toward, excuse me, insecurity and jealousy. So when David begins to get this popularity, King Saul can't handle it. And so he, he literally drives David from the kingdom. And for the, for the next 10 years, he's chasing David, trying to kill him in the Judean hills among the caves. And that's why this is titled, David, when he fled from King Saul and went into the cave. So David is a fugitive running from King Saul who's trying to kill him. That lasted for 10 years. For 10 years, King Saul and his army is trying to find David to kill him because he's jealous of who David was and how popular he was. Well, a little bit later, King Saul dies in battle. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 5, David actually gets crowned the king over all of Israel. So so 15 years between when Samuel anoints David to be the king, the next king, and when David actually becomes the king. Psalm 57 is written about that that period of time when David has the promise, but it's not yet fulfilled. David knows the purpose of God, but but it hasn't yet come to be in his life. And maybe that's where you are today. What are you waiting for in terms of the purpose of God? What are you waiting for in terms of the promise of God? And there's some important lessons that we learn in this psalm. So let's read together Psalm 57. Again, it's titled, A Psalm of David regarding the time he fled from Saul 
and went into the cave. Verse 1, David says, Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy. I look to you for protection, protection from Saul and from his army. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until this danger passes by. I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. He, will send, he God, will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. My God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. In the meantime, I'm surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows and whose tongues cut like swords. David talking about the oppression not only of King Saul but of his army as they try to hunt David down. Verse 5, be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. My enemies have set a trap for me. I'm weary from distress. They have dug a pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. Again, David talking about how uh, they were trying to destroy him, but God wasn't going to allow David to be destroyed. My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up or awaken my heart. <clears throat> wake up, O lyre and harp. I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations for your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. <clears throat> 15 years of waiting. 15 years in the life of David waiting for the promise of God given at 15 years old until he would become the king at 30 years old. So what happens in the waiting period? What happens between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise? Psalm 57 gives us some clues. I wanna talk about what happens in the waiting period. And the first is this, <clears throat> we lose our self-sufficiency. We lose our self-sufficiency. David began to realize as he's running from King Saul and the kingdom is getting farther and farther away from him that if God doesn't do something, David won't become king. David is beginning to realize that this isn't about him. This is about God bringing to pass what he promised. We read several verses, verses 2 and 3 and 7 and 9 and 10. I want you to, as we read these verses, notice where David's confidence is. I cry out to God most high, the God above everything, the God above every nation, the God above every king, the, the God above every power, the God above every circumstance, the God who rules and reigns above every purpose, that God. I cry out to God most high, to God, and then he says this, who will fulfill his purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. God's going to take care of my enemies in the waiting. My God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. My heart is confident where? In you, God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing praises to you. I will thank you, Lord, among all of the people. I will sing your praises among the nations because your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. It's endless. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. In this waiting period between the promise and the fulfillment, God wants us to grow deep in faith. 
He wants our faith to go, grow, grow deep in, in an understanding of his power, his capability, and not our own. He wants us to begin to become God-dependent, not self-dependent or self-sufficient. Not, not believing that it's our wisdom and our intellect and our good looks and, and our experience and our charisma and our personality and our wealth and all of those things that's going to get us to God's purpose. David begins to realize that, that if anything is going to get him to where God wants him to be, it's going to be God. So his confidence was not in himself. He began to lose a sense of self-sufficiency. In other words, if I'm single and I'm going to find that person, you know, I, I better dress a certain way, I better act a certain way to lure that person in, or if I'm in, in a company waiting on a position, I, I, I have to do all these things. That's self-sufficiency. That's you putting the weight on yourself to bring to pass the purpose of God. And David said, in the waiting, I had to lose my self-sufficiency and totally begin to rely on God. So in 2013, I'd been here just a couple years at Central, we had a little under a $4 million debt. And it was an albatross around our neck. We, we knew that, that we were crippled until we could get out from under that weight to begin to invest our, our resources in, in other types of ministry. It was mission critical to pay that off. So a number of us went to a Dave Ramsey seminar for churches. It was a debt reduction seminar, and they, they taught a, a program that you could implement in your church, organize your people, get this thing going, and whether it was two years or three years to pay it off, I don't remember what it was, depending on the amount, that there was this great program. Dave Ramsey stuff's really good. It's biblical. And, and, and we've, we had some, some really strong business leaders, really gifted guys and, and women on that, that team at the time. And, and it's like, we can do this, right? And so we came back from the seminar and, and most of the people felt like, yeah, this is really a good plan for us. And I, the more I prayed about it, the, the more uneasy I became. And, 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 and Central had had a little bit of a history of self-sufficiency. We have a wealthy congregation. We've got great people. We can pretty much pull ourselves out of anything. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying he didn't want us to do the program. And I shared that with our leadership team. I said, guys, I, ju I just don't feel like that's what God wants us to do here. And, and I felt like the Lord was saying that we just need to take an offering, just encourage the people to give and that God was going to provide. He was gonna take care of this. And as I shared that with our leadership team and they began to pray, we prayed four consecutive evenings related to this. And by the fourth night, it was unanimous. We're, we're, not, we're not supposed to do this program. It wasn't because I was trying to manipulate them. The Holy Spirit just began to talk to all of us and say, no, we need to trust God with this and not our self-sufficiency, not our ingenuity, not our, our you know, business acumen or whatever. And so here's what we did. We gave the people, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> six weeks. We're gonna take an offering in six weeks and we owe a little under $4 million and we're just believing God's gonna bring that in. Well, we took the offering, we got 1.1 million. Like, that's great, right? One point, can you imagine just one weekend, we got 1.1 million, we had saved about $300,000 and we put that toward it. So we had about a million and a half to pay off this debt of a little under four million. So that's wonderful, but we still had about two and a half million dollars. It wasn't paid off. So what, what, what do we do now? Well, well, God said, just tell the people if they wanna keep giving, they can. And that's what we did. Uh, we, we never mentioned it again. I never stood up on the platform and said, hey, we're, we're down to two million now. We're down to 1.5, keep giving. None of that. God just said, keep your focus on people. Keep your focus on ministry. Don't get off on money and watch what I do. Well, by the end of 2014, the whole thing was paid off. I have no, absolutely no idea how that happened. People just continued to give generously. <clears throat> there was a couple of big people that came and said, hey, I, I wanna give this amount or whatever. <clears throat> And it was paid off. And God had to teach us not to depend on ourselves, 
but to trust in him. And when you're waiting, God wants you to begin to rely on his resources and not yours. And that's hard when you're a gifted person, when you're a sharp person, not to rely on yourself, but to rely on God. But you know that you're beginning to lose your self-sufficiency when you can declare like David did in Psalm 57 too. This is a verse some of you need to memorize. David said, I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. When you can say that, when you can pray that and say, God, I don't care how long it takes, I don't care what the process is, I don't care how we get there, but I believe you are going to fulfill your purpose in my life, you've just broken through self-sufficiency and you're beginning to trust God with that issue in your life. And that's where God wants us, to trust him and not ourselves to accomplish his purpose in life. Now we still have to do what we need to do but we need to rely on God. So we lose our self-sufficiency. The second thing is we learn what not to do. We learn what not to do. God intentionally put David under King Saul to show him what a terrible king was. Not what a great king was, what a terrible king was. Saul was an awful leader. Saul disobeyed God. Saul rebelled against God. Saul didn't do the things that God, he compromised in a number of areas. And yet David put, God put David under Saul, an incompetent leader, to show him what he wanted David to be when David became king. And that's the way it is sometimes. Sometimes God puts us under really poor leaders. Sometimes God puts us in really poorly run organizations. Sometimes God allows us to be in really unhealthy or hurtful relationships so we learn what God doesn't want for us. The type of leader he wants us to be by learning from things that we shouldn't do in life. So here's what we read in verse four. David said, I'm surrounded by fierce lions who who greedily devour human prey. Talking about Saul and his army. Terrible leader, whose, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows and whose tongues cut like swords. So King Saul, on, on, on at least two separate occasions, tried to kill David in the palace while David was playing the harp. D- David's just there serving him. And Saul tries to kill him because of his, his depression and his jealousy. And he's just a poor leader. Let's, let's look at a couple of those circumstances. The first is in 1 Samuel 18. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul. Let me just pause there for a second. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit didn't uh, indwell every God follower. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament came upon people for specific tasks. Kings, prophets, priests, craftsmen. The Holy Spirit would come on them to enable them or empower them to do the job that God had called them to do. But the Holy Spirit didn't live inside of every God follower like he does in the New Testament. So the Holy Spirit had come on King Saul, but he had rebelled against God and disobeyed God. And it says that God lifted his spirit from King Saul. Now I mentioned earlier, Saul was naturally an insecure and a jealous person. And when the protective hand of God was lifted from King Saul, when the Holy Spirit was lifted from Saul, it created a vacuum in which the evil one could come and really torment Saul. And so this evil spirit comes as God lifts his spirit. This evil spirit comes and torments King Saul. And he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did every day. But Saul had a spear in his hand and he suddenly hurled it at David intending to pin him to the wall or kill him. But David escaped him twice. More than one occasion that happened. Well, let's go to 1 Samuel 19. We see the same thing. But one day when Saul was sitting at home with a spear in his hand, now you'd think that David would learn, hey, if the king's got a spear in his hand, this isn't a good deal, right? 
Like maybe I, I should just leave before he gets any idea. But the tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon him again as David played his harp. Saul hurled his spear at David, but David dodged out of the way. He's getting pretty good at this, isn't he? Dodging the spears. Here's a leader that's firing spears at the people that are trying to serve him. You know that leader, don't you? You're just trying to serve, and they are arrogant, and they're abusive, and they're hurtful. They don't care that much about you. That's the leader that God put David under because he was trying to teach David something. But David dodged out of the way and leaving the spear, stuck in the wall, he fled and escaped into the night. So you are going to be in situations where God places you under incompetent, arrogant, abusive leaders because he has a lesson for you. He's trying to teach you something. Or you're in relationships that are not healthy. Or you're waiting on God in another context, an unhealthy, toxic organization. Sometimes God has us learn what not to do before we learn what to do, or maybe at the same time. So, so I consider my ministry life, I've been in, in full-time ministry over 35 years, and, and during that time, until I came to Central, I was never really the lead pastor of, of a lar fairly large church. We had planted a couple of churches, not large churches, and, but for the most part, I was always under someone. I was an associate pastor. And I've been under some good leaders, but I've been under some not so good leaders. And, and I've learned some things. God taught me when I was under leaders that, that weren't that good, what he wanted for me when eventually I got into a position where I was the leader. So I was in a, in a fairly large church and the, and the pastor there had a, had a parking spot right next to the building with his name on it. And you know, like you guys, a, a big parking lot, and you're parking like six miles away. It takes you three days to get to church by the time you get here. But pastor just, just pulls in right up, right up next to the door because he's the, he's the lead pastor. And as soon as, as, soon as that, that happened, God, God said, no, that's not for you. That, that, that's not the way I want, I want you to lead. Because Jesus said when he calls us into leadership, he calls us to be a servant, not lording it over other people. Not to take advantage of people, but to serve, to, to be an example to the flock. And so God just said, that, that's not for you. So, so don't be the first person in line at the potluck. Go to the end of the line. S serve people. That, that was one of the things that God taught me. Um, I, had a, I was wor working under a preaching pastor that would go online and he'd look at, at what different preachers around the country were preaching. He, he'd look at their sermon series and he'd find one that he liked, like a, a six-week teaching on relationships or a six-week teaching on stewardship. And he'd just take it and then he'd preach it. And not, not word for word, but pretty close. Uh, he'd use all the graphics and all the artwork and everything and, and he would preach those six weeks. And God said, not, not for you. He said, the, the people don't need leftovers. They, they don't need someone else's manna. They, they don't need, uh, you know, day-old bread. God said, if you, are, if you are faithful and you will seek me, I will give you fresh bread every day for the congregation. They need a fresh meal. And, and if you're faithful to pursue me, I will give you fresh manna every day for the people. And so I've just, just held on to that. God's been faithful to do that. It's very rare that I'll preach the same message. All right, you're welcome. <laughs> Why bore you twice, right? <laughs> Why put you to sleep twice? That, that's just insane. So... I preached at a friend's church in downtown L.A. When it was about service time, they, they, they escorted the two first ladies, my, my wife and his wife, they escorted them to their seats in the front row. And then, and then he said, let me have your Bible. 
So okay, so I gave him my Bible and he handed it to a young man. And the, when the service, uh, when the worship had ended, uh, no, I'm sorry, when the service began, they, they opened the middle doors and this procession came down the, the center aisle. And th this young man carried my Bible he carried it down, he walked up and he set it on the pulpit and th there's this procession going on and, and I'm like, why is the dude carrying my Bible? Like, that's what my wife's supposed to do. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> but it was just, it, 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 so I sat down, like, like we went through this procession and, and I sat down and God said, dude, carry your own Bible. That, that's what he said. He said, dude, just when you, you just carry your own Bible. Don't, don't get caught up in you're the guy, you're the holy man and all of that. Just, just serve and just do your part in, in the ministry and, and let God do the. So sometimes we're in situations where we, we learn what, what not to do instead of what to do. God is... God is positively shaping you right now through some negative leadership, through some negative circumstances in your life. God's preparing you for what he has to come. Well, the third thing is we, we experience hopelessness, as David did. We experience hopelessness. So David began to feel like not only is he not getting closer to God's purpose, he's not, even, not, not only not getting closer to be the king, he's being driven farther away. Like this is becoming more and more impossible. Like, like there's not even a chance to meet people to marry somebody. Like I'm not even crossing paths with single people that are Christians that, that I would even think about marrying. Like, like this is hopeless. Or, or there's no opportunity in my company for me to step into the position that I, that I feel like God wants me to do. Or It's just a hopeless feeling. And David was feeling that. In, in verse 1 he says this. Be gracious to me, God. Be gracious to me for my soul takes refuge in you and in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge I will seek safety until this destruction passes by the the phrase that David uses there is speaking of a storm cloud until this this black cloud passes by until this dark season until this hopelessness is gone I will I will hide myself in the shelter of your wings O God and so there are, there are these seasons when it seems like not only am I not getting closer to God's plan, I'm getting farther away. And it seems literally impossible for God to fulfill His purpose. And when you are there, when, you, when that cloud of hopelessness is covering your life, the temptation is to compromise God's plan. The temptation is to speed up the process. The temptation is to take a shortcut. The temptation is to take this thing into your own, own hands. Maybe compromise morally in order to get ahead. So David wasn't the king yet, but David was the next in line. So if David was gonna take a shortcut, if David was gonna shorten the process, what could he have done? Killed the king, right? And interesting, as David's being chased by Saul in the Judean hills, on more than one occasion, David had an opportunity to kill Saul. Here's one of them. When he, Saul, came to the sheepfolds on the way, there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself to go to the bathroom. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave when Saul went in there to, to go to the bathroom. When he lowered his robe and did whatever he did, 
In that vulnerable position, David's men say to David, this is your chance. Like God put this in your lap. David's men said to him, behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I am about to hand your enemy over to you and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. They were not understanding what that scripture meant. They they were giving David bad counsel. Like, Like God brought Saul here so you can kill him and then you can become the king. And David said, no. That's not God's plan. God's plan is not for me to take this into my own hands, not to act immorally, not to compromise my integrity. David understood that King Saul, this this wicked king, this incompetent leader, this mentally ill person that was over David, that, that he was God's responsibility, not David's. It wasn't David's responsibility to take him out. It was David's responsibility to serve him well. It wasn't David's responsibility to find a shortcut. It was David's responsibility to wait on God to do with whatever he was going to do with King Saul. And wherever you are, it's not your responsibility to make this happen, to compromise what God has shown you. He's been teaching you what he wants in your life, what he wants for your marriage or for your ministry or for your work or whatever it is. He's showing you what he wants and he's saying, don't compromise in in the midst of hopelessness because God's gonna bring this about. And that's the temptation, friends, is to take this into our own hands, to compromise in some way morally in order to get ahead, because we just don't wanna wait. Well, here's how you know that you've broken through that hopelessness. When you can do what David did in verses nine and 10, when you can begin to praise God for his faithfulness, here's what he says. He ends the Psalm, oh, I'm sorry. Let's back that up. So there's three things related to God's purpose that I want to share with you right now. The first is this, it's never slow. Oh, it's slow to us, but it's never slow according to God. See, God has a specific time when he wants to bring that about, which leads to number two, God is always on his own timetable. God has a a timetable for you to step into his purpose and his promise, and he knows when you're going to be ready. You think you're ready before he does. That's why the waiting period is so long, because he's preparing you for that. It's never slow. It's always on God's timing. And the third thing is, it cannot be stopped. People can't stop it. Saul couldn't stop it. Satan can't stop it. Circumstances can't stop it. A pandemic can't stop it. Cannot stop the purpose of God for your life. So Job says this in Job 42. Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You don't need to fear anything in your life about the purpose of God because God will bring it to pass. Nothing is gonna stand in the way of that. People can't, Satan can't, circumstances can't, world events can't. If God has a purpose for your life as you are faithful to him, it will be established. So you know that you've pushed through that hopelessness when like David, you can praise him. David says, I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations for your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds, says David from a cave. Says David from a place where the promise is far away. Says David from a place of of years of waiting and years more potentially of waiting, he rises up in the cave with the cloud of despair and darkness and hopelessness over his life and he says, God, I praise you because you will bring this to pass. I cry out to God most high who will fulfill his purpose for me. Come on, somebody. 
you can have that confidence. Wherever you are, whatever you're waiting in terms of the purpose of God, that God is faithful to his word and his promise. Would you stand with me this morning? I don't know where you are. I, I, don't, know, I don't know what promise, what purpose you're waiting on God for. You, you may be in a really poor marriage and the easy thing would be to walk away from that. But if God's telling you to hang in there in that marriage, that's his plan. Don't take the shortcut. Don't compromise a relationship. Don't compromise your integrity. It's in the waiting that God has an incredible purpose and lessons for you to learn so you are ready to step into his purpose. Let's pray. God, this morning we, we are tired of waiting. We're impatient. We, we want to get on with your purpose. We want to get on with your plan and it's so hard to not see it come to pass. But Lord, like David this morning, our prayer, Psalm 57 2, is we cry out to you, God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for our lives, for our ministry, for our family, for our relationships, for our oikos. God, you will fulfill your purpose. Therefore, Lord, this morning we rise up in a spirit of praise from whatever cave we're in. And we say thank you for sending your unfailing love. Thank you that you never compromise your word. You're never slow. It's never delayed. It's always on time. And nothing can stop it. And we rest in that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Be patient. Wait on the purpose of God. Have a great day.